back to another edition of Mormon Expression, a special edition where it's the afternoon. Normally it's dark when we record, so um, special conditions for a special guest. <laughs> so, so uh, first of all, let me introduce uh, my my lovely um, spouse, um, Zilpha. Hey, Zilpha. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. Hello from everybody. Um, and, uh, you know, things are changing. I, um, in the Mormon world, when you look at what's been going on the last 30 or 40 years, something's happening. And I don't think anybody quite understands it. And that includes me and it definitely includes the brethren. They're, I think they're kind of bewildered. And there's a few lightning rods to the change that's going on right now. And we have the privilege of maybe having lightning rod number one here in studio, uh, 1A, the, the, um, Famous and infamous, depending on where you're from, um, John DeLynn. Welcome to Studio Fist in Your Face, John DeLynn. <laughs> I am here at Larson headquarters, and it's a pleasure. So uh, what's your what's your impression? It's beautiful. We're in Lehigh, and um, I'm sitting in this office with like – it feels like I'm in a radio station. There's like four mics, and there's, you know, ear earphone sets <laughs> for every microphone, and – John's big, huge library of books are surrounding us, and my guess is this is just a fraction of the books you own, right? Uh, these these much... are all the LDS books. We keep all of our other books upstairs or in the other room. But... It's like 200, 300 books here. It's it's quite nice. Beautiful home. Larson's are wonderful people. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming. Welcome. Um, Zilpha says she's nervous. I said or I'm shy. feeling a little shy. Shy. <laughs> it must be your... John's your... just so handsome. He's intimidating. Yeah. John is handsome. I don't think she's both talking. About, I don't think she's John's. talking about me. You, you, you're, you're an intimidating fellow. You know, um, you're what are you? Six four, six five, six six, six actually. six. Um, yeah, and, I and, hugged him, and it was like my nose was at his belly button. And normally she can't. She her belt. My belly button's in her nose because uh, you know she can't even get close. What? <laughs> uh, so um, you, you six six. I, I I remember reading that. Um, you know. Hair and height was a huge determiner in um, executive success. And you worked at Microsoft, and being six six, you gave up a corner office. That's right. <laughs> I did give up a corner office. Well, the equivalent to a corner office. It's been worth it. I haven't ever looked back. Really? Not at all. Uh, I've I've always uh, wondered on this is completely off the subject. The paradox of Microsoft. Everybody thinks Microsoft products suck, but their employees are looked at as golden when they're hired by any other company. I've, I've never quite figured that out. So <laughs> you're, you're, you're golden, even though, even though your products are, leave something to be desired. I'm, I'm <laughs> not, I, I'm not going to blame, I'm not going to blame John for that. He, he knows it. He, John is more, a man of truth. I have more apples than I have PCs. <laughs> I have like three Apple computers and two PCs. All right. Well, um, why don't, why don't we dive in? Um, you know, John, you've, you've, uh, you're usually behind the microphone and not in front of the microphone. So um, there's a, a lot of people, as I've watched, uh, you know, I, I we, we sort of run in the same circles to some extent, watch the same goings on, and and a lot of people scratch their heads over you. So we're going to try to peel away the layers of the onion and get down to the bottom of who is John DeLynn. <laughs> Uh, you, you know what, you know what I like best about you is, is, you know, you started Mormon stories in what, was it 2005? Yep. And you've obviously changed a lot during those seven years nearly. And, 
we always knew where you were. I mean, you can tell you can tell a vintage John Delin. You, you can pull a John Delin that I've never heard, and I can listen to it, and I can tell you what year it was based on your your changing attitude about church. And I, I love that. I, I love that you you wore your own belief and questions and all that in the in the podcast. Well, that was. You know, it was kind of a little bit, maybe by design, you know how like people like reality TV, I just kind of figured if I was going through a bit of a journey that might add some interest or intrigue, just like you guys, you guys have had Niall and George and that personality element has added a lot to what's made your podcast attractive to people, Zilpha and you and just the whole banter. And so maybe having a little bit of that personality give some authenticity to it, give some interest to it and helps people feel like they're on a journey with me a little bit. So yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think the church tends to pull out personality so much, you know, in, in, you know, you listen to like uh, Carol Makita or whatever, doing her interviews and she's a wonderful interviewer, but they have to like pull so much of what's, what's a, a personality of the brethren, whoever they're talking to that you, you just end up wanting to like say, you know, just break that down and, and just, being able to give that a little bit makes it so refreshing, I think. Yeah, it's been fun. I don't know that I planned it all, but it sure has been neat. Whenever someone meets me, I'm sure they do this to you guys. They always, the first thing they say is, I feel like I know so much about you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I, then we feel bad when we can't remember their, their name. Yeah. yeah. Or, or when we don't live up to their. Yeah, you statement. feel like you have to say something clever or, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know. Oh, the life perform. of a celebrity. The life of a celebrity is so hard, isn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's hard. We, uh, <laughs> celebrity to 12 people. We, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, John, where were you um, belief-wise when you first started Mormon Stories? When I first started Mormon Stories, I, I was this naively optimistic uh, phase where I had I'd had my beliefs totally destroyed. And then I discovered Eugene England and Lowell Benyon. And it was like, oh, I just, you know, if those guys knew everything and they still believe in Leonard Arrington, then everyone can do it. So I, it's like I'd read Lowell Benyon's biography. I'd, I'd read Adventures of a Church Historian. And it's like, okay, I'm just going to go through this journey of learning stuff about Mormonism. And I know that the end product will be that everyone will be able to stay in the church and believe again. I just need to kind of go through that process and bring everyone with me. And by the end, we'll all be happy, progressive members of the church, and we'll all be better for it. So it was this sort of naive, naive place um, informed by those guys. But, I, I mean, the, but there are a lot of guys, really smart guys, who were able to maintain that position. Uh, so maybe I'll take a little exception about you calling it naive, because I wouldn't call any of those guys loyal, 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 loyal brother Benyon. <laughs> And um, Eugene England and, and and those guys to be naive. I mean, you know what? The people that I know who knew Eugene England, that's probably the word that they use most to describe him. Really naive? Yeah. Like I, I, when I talk, when I read Levi Peterson, he was very close friends with Eugene England. I got that sense when I've talked to other prominent people. They say that Eugene England always felt like the brethren were going to appreciate what he did. Hmm. And he was always waiting for them to embrace and endorse his approach. And that was what was part of the, He was always engaging them as if they ever had a snowball's chance to ever like accept and embrace what he was doing. And they never did. And that was part of what was heartbreaking for him. Well, and they, and they crushed him at the end. You know, it's, it's really disheartening, <laughs> it's, you know, what they did to him Yeah, be, because yeah, I mean, he was, he, 
he fought against the absurdities, you know, and that's that's the thanks you get. Really, I you know, I think BYU died in 96 or 95 or whenever it was. It wasn't the September 6th. It was that aftermath of that exodus, and it's never been the same since. Yeah. So I'm not saying everyone who stays in the church is naive. Let me be clear. What's naive is to think, one, that you could ever change the church, two, that the brethren would ever care about or pay attention to what you have to say. And three, what I think is definitely naive is to expect that the road that Lowell and Eugene and and the others have followed is realistic for most people. I think it's going to be a small percentage of thoughtful Mormons who are able to stay once they become exposed to the facts. Now, let's go back a minute because you're starting to sound like me. You you're, you said that we can't change the church? Definitely not. I haven't had that goal in years of actually changing the church. No. So what is your goal? What are you trying to do? Uh, so goal number one is to bring awareness regarding the tougher issues of Mormonism to as many people as possible. The analogy I like to use is if you were aware that the Concord jet was a fantastic aircraft in every possible way, except for the fact that it exploded into a ball of flames every 1,000th time that it took off. You know, you would you would want to make sure that your customers knew that, that people who were buying tickets to fly on the Concorde were aware of that before they made that decision. If you had a car that, you know, was going to fail uh, one out of a thousand times, you'd want to know that before you bought it. So I think that everyone who is a member or is looking to become a member should know what they're getting into or what they're in before they make big commitments about what to do with their time and income. So I think honesty is an openness and awareness of the facts is goal number one. So would you say that for people who are unaware of these issues, would you have a goal of introducing them like um, naive Peter and Molly, you know, and Sandy heading to church every, every week, do you have a goal of helping them understand these historical issues? I, I want to find this perfect way such that when they have the question, our stuff and ours, meaning our movement, you guys, everybody, I want the information to be available to them as soon as they start having questions. I don't want to force it on anybody. I don't believe in force. But that's the first thing. Get the information out there. And then for all the people for whom Mormonism doesn't work, for whom it explodes kind of in their face, I want to do whatever I can to minimize the collateral damage for those who would otherwise suffer unnecessarily or in, in unproductive ways. So those are my two goals. I don't, we're ambivalent. We're agnostic about whether people stay or leave the church. We're not trying to get people to stay. I've renounced stay LDS as the path. We, we keep it going because it's a path for the people who need it, but we're not trying to get people to stay. We're also not trying to people to get, we're not trying to get people to go. Provide the information and then provide support for those who need it. That's it. So what what do you believe? I mean, what, what where are you at? Let's start at the top. All God. Right. So uh, my view on God is I got to the point where I I didn't know if there was a God. I looked deeply into that abyss, and I'm I'm at the point where I realized that God, the probability that God exists is quite low. Right. But at the same time, I'm not quite – as I look at the probability that everything that we have here is just random and there's no purpose or meaning to it, that actually seems almost as absurd as the idea that there is some type of God. 
those seem almost equally absurd to me. Yeah, but does anybody, I don't mean a light shot, but does anybody really believe the second? I mean, most atheists wouldn't say this is just randomness. Well, what else is it? If there's meaning, what creates the meaning? Is there any meaning outside of the meaning we create? It's a response to conditions, you know? Yeah, but I, for me, it's it's so... So That's I, I'm not trying to talk. talk no, no, no. So you 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 feel like there has to be some kind of deeper meaning, otherwise no, it's no, 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 absurd. No, 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 no. I I think the position of this life is. I've heard your podcast on this. I loved how you ex- described it. That being an atheist for many people allows them to say this life is all I have, and I'm going to have as much meaning and purpose as I can by living each day to the fullest. I think that's beautiful. I. I think that's a viable option. I don't dismiss it. For me personally, since both options, a God or meaninglessness, in terms of there being some transcendent meaning, since both of those things seem equally absurd, I'm happier when I feel like what I do makes some tangible, meaningful, even metaphysical difference. So I I choose that. Let's just say it's an illusion. I just choose it. And I choose to believe that what I'm doing with Mormon Stories what I'm doing with my family, what I'm trying to do with this community is going to have some lasting impact that's real and significant. And that and that maybe even, well, the second part of my testimony is that whenever I've tried to do something that I think is good or worthwhile, I've always felt power or influence organized to support these righteous goals or desires. Just people coming out of the woodworks to help and support. Maybe it's just that mankind is evolutionarily programmed to support a good cause. But from my perspective, um, I've always felt some type of support or influence or even inspiration. I can't, I don't know where that comes from. To me, God might not be anthropomorphic at all. Um, or it may just be a, a, a power or there may be nothing, but I'm happier when I choose to act as though there's purpose and meaning and there's been enough support for what I've tried to do that I just, call that God. I slap the God label on that, fully aware that there's a, there's a, you know, a low probability that there actually is anything, but I, that's what I but call it faith. it feels better feeling like what you're doing is like endorsed by a higher power and some, somehow it's important, like metaphysically. Like, I, don't, I don't need to be endorsed, but I like to feel like I'm part of something meaningful. Like somebody's pulling strings to to help you to a certain goal. Not even pulling strings. Watch out! She's setting a trap for you. No, it's good. No, no, I'm, I'm no, just no, no. Trying I, to... I don't. Like I said, it's just as probable that there's nothing there, and I'm aware that I'm probably most likely manufacturing this. But I choose to call myself a believer because I choose to believe that there's meaning and purpose in all this, and I felt some type of support that I can't really describe, though I'm aware that that might be completely a product of my imagination. I'm just happier to, I, and it'd be nice if there was an afterlife. You know? for, for a while, for the first 50,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you. So I hope you sense that I don't denigrate or demean the atheist or agnostic position. Ah, feel free. A lot of atheists are assholes. Okay. So um, what about Joseph Smith? We're going straight to Joseph, huh? Yeah. Did you skip anybody? I was thinking about about my testimony. You you got to go with Jesus next. (laughs) All right. So are you a Christian? 
Um, I like a lot of the teachings. That, I have no idea whether Jesus existed or not. Anyone who says they know is just, it's a matter of faith. I think, I think the probability that Jesus actually lived and was resurrected is probably really low. And I'm actually not invested in that. And I've told this to my bishop and stake president. As far as I'm concerned, what I believe about Jesus is that those teachings of love and patience and forgiveness more often than not lead to good things. Hmm. So I like, I like those teachings, just the very simple ones. I don't like it when he like curses olive trees or, <laughs> or, or tells, says that he's here to separate mother from son or whatever it is mm-hmm. that he says. But those teachings about love and patience and forgiveness, I dig. So in that sense, I call myself a Christian, but I'm not invested in a resurrection. If it happens, that'll be fantastic. And an atonement. Yeah. The atonement, um, I don't, I just don't understand. I tell my bishop and stake president, I don't understand the atonement. This idea that we got to, we got to punish someone for a bunch of other people's mistakes. That just bothers me. Mm. The yeah. fact that it's even necessary bothers me and trying to do the math to make it all add up. I don't even like the idea that we should feel bad for our mistakes bothers me. So the idea of, of sin in and of itself doesn't really jive with you. No, I like, I try and live as quote righteously as I can, but the idea that God makes us imperfect and then we're supposed to beat ourselves up over our imperfections just seems screwed up to me. I think this life's about making mistakes and learning from them. We should all do the best we can, but beating ourselves up over it doesn't make sense. And punishing that guy over there for what I did doesn't make sense at all. And so none of that makes sense. So what about evil? What about Satan? No, I, I, I don't, I don't have any belief in Satan or evil. I think people do evil things. Evil's in people's behavior. But I don't think they're angels or some demonic force trying to tempt us. So let's go back to the second most important man who ever walked the earth, uh, Joseph. <laughs> so, and I mean, this sort of comes at the foundation of, of Mormonism. So where do you place Joseph? Uh, I, I believe that this same nebulous God that I talk about that, that exists, if it exists at all, then why not that it had a positive influence or some basis of inspiration for Mormonism? So I'm fine with saying that to whatever extent that he did good, that Joseph was inspired by the same God that I believe in and that somehow Mormonism is informed by some type of inspiration along with a bunch of messed up stuff. But I also give that to other religions and to atheists and agnostics and secular organizations too. Anyone who ends up doing something good for for humanity or the world sure. is probably inspired in some way. Yeah. Very loose. So if we were to draw a bell definition. curve of like, you know, American religions of their value, we'll just leave it loosely defined as value. What do you think Mormonism is? Is it <laughs> is it in the pa- in the middle pack with everything else or is it does it is it harmful and so it starts sliding to the left on that bell curve or is it better than the most and it starts sliding to the right? Where, where do you think Mormonism stands? I think Mormonism has a bimodal distribution of, of, uh, <laughs> of benefit and harm. I think for the people that benefits, it benefits them ex- extremely well. I think society has benefited tremendously by some aspects of Mormonism. And I think when Mormonism causes damage, it's an extreme form that's very painful and severe. That's my answer. It's a, a bimodal distribution. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, so, so you know, you've you've 
talked before about meeting with church authority or being called into your your stake president and all that. What's your relationship with the church today? And and I don't mean religion. I mean the church. Oh, uh, I attend church maybe once a month, sometimes twice a month, usually just sacrament meeting. Um, I, I can't go to Sunday school, and I sometimes go to Elders Quorum. Uh, I don't have a temple recommend right now. I'm temple worthy, except I don't pay tithing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't pay tithing because I don't know where the money goes. And I've told – I offered I, – I went in to see if my stake president would let me baptize my son. And um, – I told him I don't pay tithing and he said, why not? And I said, the mall and prop eight and all sorts of stuff. And, and I said, you know what, stake president, if you'll tell me where my money goes, I'll pay my tithing directly to you. And he wouldn't do it. He didn't know. But I, no, no, no. I said, I'll give you my tithing check if you'll just let me know where it goes. Uh-huh. He doesn't know where it goes. No, no, no. If he, he could spend it. Oh, oh he can spend it. Yeah. Uh, if, if pay for scout here camp the bishop would and... just tell me what my money was going for, I'd I'd be willing to pay it, but he, he wouldn't take my money. The mother-daughter dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I love the church. I'm I call myself a semi-active, semi-believing kind of Mormon in a very loose sense. So you I, still feel like your identity is tied up in Mormonism. My my identity is completely tied up in Mormonism. My kids We've told them everything about Joseph Smith and polyandry and peepstones and DNA in the Book of Mormon, and they still like going, you know? And so we don't want to just tell them they can't go. And so we go every once in a while, and we support them and love them. And I usually feel some good things when I go to church. I'm past the point of anger. But how do you get past the point of boredom? That's what I... Uh, I play hangman with my son during sacrament meeting. And then I perk up when something interesting is said. And when you, when you say something interesting, you mean something bizarre or something really good or both? Both. <laughs> Does your ward know that John DeLynn attends their ward? Do they have any idea what that means? Most just think I'm scary and they don't know what I do. They just you they just have some be, kind of reputation of being Your countenance has dropped and they feel icky. I'm dark. Around. <laughs> yeah. I'm a dark yeah, yeah. influence. <laughs> yeah, but but... Uh, very few know what a podcast is, or and then a very, very few have ever listened. But uh, some do. I'd say four or five in my word listen to the podcast. That's cool. Yeah. Well, that, that may be good. That may be bad. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. I don't know. If they're willing to listen, that's that's probably good. So you, you've you've talked um, today about I've had talks with your stake president. So. So have they tried to discipline you or, 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 or what's happened there? I mean, what, why have you been talking to your state president? Uh, several months ago, uh, I got called in. Well, there was a whole investigation on me, basically. Um, uh, my elders quorum president got nervous about something that I tweeted. I basically tweeted from general conference based on my knowledge of psychology. I bet the church would see a decrease in pornography use if they would just stop talking about pornography so much. I tweeted that. He saw it. His Actually, his wife saw it, made her nervous. She told him, he went and told the bishop during PEC, I think we need to be worried about this John DeLynn guy. So my bishop launched an investigation into me without telling me. So he got a member of the stake high council, who you know, 
mm-hmm. and then my eldest corn president to do a full on several month investigation where they spent hundreds of hours listening to my stuff, <laughs> reading my stuff, monitoring my stuff and taking extensive notes. Parallel to that, the stake president read an article in the New York Times about my trip to the Book of Mormon musical mm-hmm. and he started an investigation on me and all this was happening without my knowledge. <laughs> so make a long story sh- short, I found out about it. I got really mad. This one member of the stake high council was actually trying to join a private forum to get private access <laughs> to my friends and communications. It was really kind of CIA, <laughs> FBI kind of creepy. But the outcome. That's probably the most exciting thing he got to do all year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe. But in the end, um, my stake president exonerated me and said, we find no reason to take church action at this time. Did he, did, do you have any inclination that he escalated? Did he call higher authorities and ask him what to do? I don't have any inclination that he did. Because most stake presidents are not dummies. And yeah. the idea that he saw your name in the New York Times should have hit a light bulb and said, I don't know if, if this is above my pay grade, he should have said. Well, not just that, but orig- and it, immediately what I did is I put a post on Mormon Stories that said, if any of you want to write a message to my church leaders and let them know. <laughs> and 500 people wrote my stake president within a matter of like a few days. Wow. And, I, and before I ever met with them, I pointed him to that blog post. And he read about a third of those comments. That's so awesome. I think he knew that it, you know, it would be a non-trivial event if he were to take action. Yeah. But I also, my brother told me that an apostle pulled him aside after a meeting and told him to tell me that church headquarters has, um, had no involvement in, in this investigation. Now, for, for our listeners who don't know, your brother Joel used to be the, um, CT, chief information officer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I, and I believe him. I don't think the church headquarters had anything to do with it. I think it was a local matter. But apparently they knew about it. Yeah, but that might have been Joel telling them that oh, the investigation okay. was going on. Hmm. It may have been Joel told the apostle. The apostle looked into it. The apostle came back and said, but I'm I'm speculating. Joel so, doesn't tell me who he talks to. And So does the church keep its eye on you? Uh, probably not that much. We're small fish, right, John? Yeah. Are. Aren't well, we small fish? Well, we I, I mean, the church doesn't give a rip about us because we're on the outside, right? And the church has spent all of its energy trying to... Although we're still technically members, so uh, yeah, we but, have, you know, visiting teachers. and So we're not completely on the outside. I'm just saying we're not... We haven't resigned. We're I, not ex... I'm saying that the church doesn't doesn't pay attention to apostates that, that much. And we would be seen as apostates. Right. But but you're more inside than 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 we are. Mm-hmm. You you can cause them more stress because most I I think that they they condition most Mormons. Now I'll, I'll let me first put a caveat saying I think most of our listeners go to church every Sunday, mm-hmm. but they they condition them to not listen to anything that's that's uncorrelated, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you're kind of skirting in their territory a little bit. So so I'm saying we're 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 outside their wheelhouse. John's and, definitely not correlated, but. We do t- tend to take a no- more negative uh, position, so right. it's more scary. I, I don't think people confuse us with with um, the regular church stuff, but, no, but your yeah. stuff it, it's a little bit more. It might be fuzzy. more confusing. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm and that's intentional. I am intentionally right? trying to to be a safe place for people to initially learn the information and feel comfortable going there. And I don't say 
I've always been sensitive to not wanting you guys to feel like I'm calling you negative or unsafe, but I want to build a bridge so that people can get all the facts, get all the information, and then make an informed decision. Well, I, I think I think it's a useful paradigm, and I know this has got us got us in trouble before, but uh, you know I'll jump on it anyway. We we are we are unsafe in the 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 rhetorical stand that we take is that we'll put the information out there, and then people who want to put on their big boy pants can can come in, um, and 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 knowing that there's a full spectrum of people, and people have different. Um, desires and tolerance and things that get offended at. And, and and so so we're not trying to be purposely offensive, nor are we trying to be unsafe for those who want that. But but this is just this is our spectrum, you know, and this is your spectrum. And they're they're both they're fine. They don't they don't contradict each other. Even though they don't fully I mean they overlap partly, but not completely. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's understandable, you know. And I think we're well, both it's, needed. It's yeah. We are. But I'd rather be in our position, because it feels like sometimes you have to sort of pussyfoot around, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do that personally. Like it would make me feel like I couldn't just put myself all the way out there in a completely honest and open way. Do you ever feel like that? Well, I, I actually try to be really honest about where I am. Like you can go back to like episodes thirty to thirty-two of my podcast, and you'll hear most of the same things I just told you back in that episode. So I've tried to be honest and I've always been honest with my bishop and stake president. Like, but, but yeah, I'm in this nebulous position that's really uncomfortable. What, what What's hard about my position is apologists hate me and ex-Mormons hate me. Apologists no. hate everybody. <laughs> um, you can't, can't court that crowd. Yeah, but it is hard in your position that a lot of ex-Mormons, I don't, I'm, I'm not exactly sure why, well, I think hate's a little strong word, but let, let's dive into that a little bit. Maybe maybe it's more like kind of annoyed. Maybe they don't think it's necessary to try to be safe. But I I I think I think you're right because I think a lot of people need that safer place to begin understanding these things and looking into them. So, and they don't know they don't even know what they're supposed to be learning or looking for because they have no idea what's even out there. So there has to be some kind of starting place. No, for so many Mormons, it's, is it anti-Mormon? I'm turning it off. And and if if they, and and it's by their definition. So you want to, for the people who want to learn, you want to feel as safe as possible. Now I'm not trying to fool them. My goal isn't to have them leave. My goal is for them to get all the facts. Right. Um, So I don't feel like I'm, trying to deceive them, but I I don't want to have them turn me off before they even listen. Right. So you have to be more careful yeah. about what you say and who you have on and what the discussions are on your on your boards and stuff like that, right? Yeah, except the content. I mean, like Michael Coe, this Yale anthropologist, it was all about the Book of Mormon from his perspective not being credible. I feel like I've had Grant Palmer and I feel like I hit the tough issues. I just, I try and interview in an objective way. And I try and have that balance where if I do Palmer, I do Bushman mm-hmm. so that, so that they'll always get the sense that I'm trying to be fair and balanced. Is one Palmer worth, worth a Bushman? <laughs> is that the, is that the exchange the trade? Rate? Yeah. It's kind of, uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So what is the exchange rate? So the, the, the ex Mormons, um, 
you you take an inordinate amount of um, verbal abuse um, from people out there, um, and I, I know when it when it gets directed at me, which it does from time to time, it, it, it hurts. Yeah, I mean to be to be blunt, you know, it hurts a lot. If if you're, I mean, if you're like um, Rush Limbaugh and you're going back to your seven million dollar mansion and and your trophy wives or whatever. Um, I, I'm sure that doles the pain a little bit, <laughs> but we, I think we mentioned this. We, we, we heard an interview with, um, Robin Williams, um, a, a little while ago, you know, and you assume that, you know, he's, and, and you haven't seen him a lot lately, lately. And that's because he gets his feelings hurt and he, and he retreats, you know, back the comedian. Well, yeah. He put, uh-huh. he puts himself out there. And then if people criticize him or make fun of him, then he gets really sensitive to that. And he, he has a hard time putting himself out there again. Yeah. Yeah. I've been through severe bouts of podcast depression. Yeah. 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 We have too. Probably not as bad. Because I'm saying what we get is minor compared to what you get. Well, and then we always have each other to bounce, you know, bounce back up from, you know, if we were just, you know, solo, it would be hard to keep going and going and going after being put down and abused. Yeah. It's way hard. Because the benefits of, I mean, I, we're having a big pity party, but the, the, be, <laughs> the benefits of doing something like this are not as big as what people think. I mean, we don't make a lot of money. We're really not. The famous. financial benefits are not there. <laughs> no. The social benefits. So, there are social benefits. Are amazing. Because uh, people, and we've said this before, we're, we, uh, we used to be, and we've gotten a little better, but we used to be extremely shy. And kind of the ones that if if we ever were at a party, we'd kind of huddle in the corner together, not really sure what to say or, you know, didn't know how to meet people. But now people will come up to us and say, hi, I'm so-and-so and I, you know, and it gives us something to talk about and some a way to connect. So social benefits are huge. It's awesome. And it's really rewarding. It's just personally rewarding to be a meaningful part of someone's faith journey. Yes. Right. And help alleviate pain. Let me just say quickly, what's hard about the post-Mormons for me is that they don't realize how they and we share so much. We have so much in common. Um, If their goal is to get people out of the church, I at least get people to the point where they know a lot of the facts and, and have the chance to make that decision. Now, my goal isn't to nudge them in that direction. But I, I, I sometimes don't understand why they can't see that I'm on their team to some extent. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, just don't go that far to say I want them out. I just I want them to be fully aware. And as we all know, being aware is a very dangerous place to be for activity levels, right? Mm-hmm. So, so of all the different sort of media outlets that, that you and you know we all have, where you have you know board discussions and Facebook groups and stuff like that, over the past few years, you've had to or you've chosen to take a kind of a heavier um, editorial stand, meaning that you've, you've banned or um, gotten rid of quite a few ex-Mormons. So those guys, once you get rid of them, jump over to whatever other board, and then they're going to unload, right? Yeah, I, I try not to ban people, but I, I hope that people can see that if if the conversations on my Facebook page or on the Mormon Stories blog are rants and sort of angry then it's just going to turn people off and it just defeats the whole purpose of why I exist. And so if people just can't have a civil discourse, someone can say, I don't believe that Joseph Smith's a prophet of God, or I believe that Joseph Smith, you know, was an adulterer. That doesn't get them banned. 
will get some band as they say, you know, Joseph Smith was an ass or, you know, the church is a cult because that's not a level of discourse that is sustainable for the audience I'm trying to reach. That's all. I just right. wish people would be cool. If they could be cool and get what I'm trying to do, play along and, and help, help me be successful. Don't get mad at me and say that I'm being like the church and authoritative and controlling because I have very different goals. I'm not trying to line my pockets or push people one way or the other. I'm just trying to provide a safe place for people to explore. So help me out. We try to be as open as possible. We're very judicious. We, we've had to ban people. And, and anybody who does this out there, I don't care if you're running an anarchy site, you're going to have to ban because there's, there's an important reason. Your The personality of your whatever endeavor it is gets shaped by the people who are on it. And if you just if you open it up completely to anybody can say anything, then it will take on a personality that's separate from from what what you what you want. And, the, and if you watch the board, you know some of the boards I've been watching for for years. And if you watch something like Post Mormon, they recycles the board gets a whole new personality about every six months. Hmm. And that with Post Mormon's um um mission, that's fine. But you know, you'll see people who get, oh, this isn't what it used to be, and you know, I and I, if if I'm up to it, I PM and say, just wait a few months and it'll it'll change. But it, it's <laughs> it's a difficult thing because you're you're right. If you let all the ex Mormons come in and in, especially when they're in that bombastic, um, sort of iconoclastic phase where they want to tear all that stuff down, it's it's a healthy response. Don't get me wrong, but it will change the personality of those of those avenues to where. People fresh out of the church don't feel. Yeah. Now, the, the, the hard part where I, 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 I think you got Mission Impossible is the people in the church can be just as bombastic. You know, it's, it's like the, this is water and oil and, and members as, like all ap- apologists or others don't like certain, certain things to be said, just like ex-Mormons don't. And they just, this middle ground between the two, I, I don't, I don't know if you can achieve that. No, and I I don't spend a lot of time even reading comments on my Facebook page or Mormon stories for that very reason. I just scan stuff to see if they're disrespectful on either side. And I ban plenty of apologists, disrespectful believers. Like, you know, post-Mormons and ex-Mormons need to realize that I, I ban both sides. It's whoever's being disrespectful. Well, and, and they, they, need to, they need to realize, I, I brought this up before, but RFM basically shit cans everything I put up there. Me too. Me so, too. so I, um, apparently Mormon expression is way too <laughs> faithful for RFM. So I, I mean, every poll out there in the universe gets their core and then they have to maintain the boundaries. Yeah. But what I think is hard from my looking at what you're trying to do is, is the boundary keeping you guys are trying to do for, for the reasons you've outlined seems extremely difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't keep up with it. So I've, Focus less and less on moderating discussions and more and more on just letting the podcasts do what they do when these people are in the privacy of their own home. And I'm not super invested in moderating other than just for basic extremes. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And as, as it grows, you know, I, I I no longer read every single post, but I scan them. Every yeah. every post coming to, to our board sends me an email yeah. and I'll scan through it. But I just, I don't have the time or energy to, to yeah. hit all those. And, you know, it's and it's as as the shows or whatever grow. Even the when I talk to the mods of some of the boards, you know, that they'll tell me, "Hey, I used to read every post coming across the board, but when we grow, I can't do it anymore." So. Remember those good old days of <laughs> Flack and the Foyer and New Order Mormon, where you could really stay on top of it and you knew everybody. 
Yeah, yeah. Those are the good old days. Well, and the, the boards each, they have a half-life. They they collapse, and sometimes they they, they they resurrect themselves, and sometimes they don't. They do. Um, and we're in a change. It's social media and how it's all... Because what I think is really fascinating, and, and this, this plays out for the, the, the podcast and stuff, when we, when we all started back, back when, everything was anonymous. You were one of the first guys to really come out with your name. And, and you, in that aspect, were an inspiration to me, because I, I realized that, that there was something, there's an ownership of owning your own identity that way. And that was extremely rare back then. Um, but now a lot of, the the energy is moving over to Facebook, where people mm-hmm. are, are tied to their real identity. Yeah, and that that's changing things, both for good and for bad. I like I think it overall. Overall, it's healthy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I think it makes people deal with with the real issues more, and people can't. Cause there used to be a lot of people putting on personas. Yeah. Um, well, they still do that, and you know, it's it's a little bit annoying. The the joke. The joke identities on Facebook. Right. I get kind of tired of those. I don't friend. I don't friend fake people anymore. I won't. I won't either. I only do occasionally if I if you know the person. If I know the person, or I I watch them for a while to see yeah. what kinds of things they're posting. But yeah. overall, I don't like the. I don't the I, practice. I have friends who come to me and, and do it. It doesn't bother me. They do it. It's just Facebook. I'm sure it's like it's almost like a job. It's because it's an extension of what we do. You know, so, so Facebook is more of this managing Mormon expression than it is my own personal life. And yeah. that's, I don't, I'm not complaining. Yeah. But so, you know, it's just one more thing to, to fuss about, you know. It is. It's crazy to keep on top of everything. All right. So let's talk about, you know, Mormon stories is and was a podcast, but, and you've made reference to it's become more than that. So what, what is it? You've, you've got, you've got the regional groups, you've got your conferences, you've got, um, Whatever else you've got your hands in. Let's well, and, talk that, about. and that all comes under an umbrella of Open Stories. Is that right? The Open Stories Foundation. I was going to call it Mormon Stories Foundation, but the lawyers told me the church could sue me even if they didn't have grounds. What? It would cost me legal fees to defend myself in court by using the the word Mormon. Oh, my gosh. So they recommended I steer clear of that. And that's okay because I'd worked for MIT with the Open Courseware Foundation. Uh-huh. And if we ever make this bigger than just Mormonism – it, it can mm-hmm. encompass something bigger. Yeah, well, that, that's sort of the 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 way we went. To yeah, our, our foundation is called Whitefield, so it doesn't even have Mormon right. expression or Mormon or anything right. in, in it. So I, uh, that's understandable. So let's let's start at the top. What, what is it you're trying to accomplish? Why all these extracurricular activities? What are you trying to do? We're just trying to create a, a space within Mormon culture, um, such that. Thoughtful Mormons, liberal Mormons, progressive Mormons, ex-Mormons, post-Mormons, uh, are, have, have, um, a little bit more comfort, a little bit less stigma, a little bit less pain, and, and can, can kind of move about in Mormon circles without such a high cost for being different from the norm. That would be the way that I would describe the overall mission. So you guys do things like have opening prayers and sing hymns. And have testimony, and why all the trappings of the church? What's that all about? Well, I don't. I love. I loved my experience, my traditional experience growing up in the church. The hymns still inspire me. When I sing the hymns, I'm uplifted, and I still enjoy prayer. Um, and so, I guess part of it is we just love that. But part of it is again. We're appealing to people that are right coming out of, of the church. Don't you guys feel uplifted when you hear a 
when you guys did your thing and you sang your hymns, didn't? Not exactly the, uplifted, but it was fun. The drum kit was cool. Okay, so when Bad you're vibes. like, have you guys gone to see music in the spoken word or gone to general conference ever? Uh, we, we do general conference every... The... Do you go? Yeah, I go to priesthood session. So when you're standing there and everyone's singing, you don't feel good? We you know? love singing yeah. in a group, but I just don't really know if I want to be singing Mormon hymns anymore. Like, as... No, I get I get the hymn part. Okay. But... um. Well, I, I some, but some of the hymns do have things in them that I I don't feel inspired yeah, by. Yeah, so we pick our hymns very carefully, uh-huh. and we pray most of the prayers done at our conferences. Pray to Mother and Father in Heaven, or to God in a generic, neutral way. But let me just tell you, I don't think religion's going anywhere. Part of the reason why we want to be religion friendly is because I think seventy, eighty percent of the population still believes, and. I just did an interview with Jana Reese for, for Mormon Stories. Her parents were atheists, and she rebelled against them by investigating religions and converting to Christianity. It's not a foregone conclusion that our children will be secular. I agree with that. And so why fight the fact that mankind tends to want to believe? Why not just embrace at least a generic God and, and inter- integrate that in for the majority of the people we're going to feel comfortable, you know, plugging into that sort of discourse. So, so on the one hand, we want to, we want to, people to feel safe, want believers to feel safe. And on the other hand, why not embrace the fact that the majority of our people are going to like God anyway? I just repeated myself. No, it's, it's good. Well, um, and if you define God generally enough, broadly enough, just doing good and being inspired to do good, then it's not, doesn't have the trappings right. of exclusive religion and abusive patriarchies, you know? Right. Well, that's what, um, we just signed our son up for Cub Scouts and you know, the, the little, the oath right. that they have to do. And it says, you know, that they'll be, what do is it? Do their duty, do to, their God. duty to God. Um, so that's basically what I told them is that, for us, God means doing good. I told him he could pick his God, so the duty <laughs> to Thor is a lot different than the, the duty well, uh, to Well, one Jehovah. thing I wondered, John, is why, I mean, I can see being being tolerant and even taking pleasure in praying and, um, well, singing, singing is a different thing than praying, I guess, but what, I mean, why start a meeting with a prayer if it's not necessary like would people really miss it if it if it wasn't there that's a good question i think it just feels familiar i think it just it's just that's how you start a meeting in mormonism i think we're just doing it because that's what we're used to doing but we're trying to do it in a way that's that's friendly to to non-believers or to alternative believers Mm -hmm. but then it's not I mean, whenever, whenever, uh, when I was in Girl Scouts, we went to a, a church. Um, I think it was a Protestant church, but and they would say prayers, and I never really felt like that was my God that that we were praying to, because the person who was praying would use like, you know, right. dear God or or something that wasn't familiar to me. So it's not familiar to the people who, <laughs> you know, it's not familiar to Mormons when you say, you know, dear. God or Father and Mother in Heaven. Yeah. I mean, so it's, I don't know. Well, we're hoping it's, for those who are traditional Mormons, we're hoping it's one step away from familiarity, but still close enough to feel somewhat familiar. Okay. 
And we're hoping that for people who are secular, it's enough steps closer to them to where they can go, okay, it's not what I do, but I'm not offended by it. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to, again, walk that middle line. So the I mean, let's go back to the, the big tent uh, because – for some reason, people ask me about what you're doing all the time. I don't, I don't know why they think I, I keep tabs on you, but I, I don't think most ex-Mormons, I mean, there's, there's, there's dicks out there wherever you go, but I don't think most ex-Mormons are offended by you. I think more ex-Mormons are confused mm-hmm. as to what exactly, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to accomplish. And I guess one of the questions is, is there a big tent? For one thing, if you have a place that's comfortable for say liberal Mormons, but who, who believe, you know, that, Monson is a prophet, and people who've rejected the entire Mormon paradigm, is there really any common ground? Well, there's probably some common ground within Mormon Stories, the Open Stories Foundation, but I absolutely believe there's common ground for a larger cultural movement. I don't I don't ever envision a time where there's a reform Mormonism like there is in Judaism, where it's the predominant actual sect, you know, chapel right. that people attend is a reform Mormonism. But I absolutely believe that if ex-Mormon, post-Mormon, New Order Mormon, Mormon Expression, Mormon Stories, Sunstone, you know, Coford Books, whoever, if we all banded together to create a cultural movement within Mormonism, we could penetrate Mormon consciousness and have an exponentially higher impact on alleviating pain and, and encouraging Mormon enlightenment. Than any of us will be able to do individually. So I, I, I'm with you on that, but I don't know what that looks yeah. like. So maybe you could explain to us, like in, in, in your vision, like, you know, because if everybody takes their pound of flesh out that they can't stand, I, it doesn't seem like there's anything left. What do you mean? Um, people if, if, have if, different issues. If we say there's a, this Mormon, this shared Mormon culture between all these people, and that's what the core you're getting at, I, it seems to me that if you were to draw that Venn diagram, there's nothing left in the middle. What, so in your opinion, what's left in the middle that we share? Oh, well, I think we all have an interest in the church's history being as widely known and distributed as possible. That's safe, right? Yeah. We have, we have a mutual interest in um, people who want to go on a faith journey of exploration, having full empowerment and support in doing that. I think we all have full support in mixed orientation marriages, getting support and encouragement such that less marriages are unnecessarily destroyed by these crises of faith. You said mixed orientation. You meant mixed faith orientation. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. You're right. You're right. (laughs) I think we all, I think we all support the LGBT community and want to see less Mormons putting guns, less gay Mormons putting guns to their heads. Probably most, most but probably not all. Most of us have shared some type, right, not all. Most of us have shared um, this journey. I have the same journey as, as, as pretty much any ex-Mormon in terms of feeling set up, lied to, betrayed, and then having to deal with that collateral damage. So we share this. I do this. think we have that in common. We absolutely have that in common. The only difference is some of these people chose they needed to leave, and I chose to stick behind to help others in the way that I can help others maybe most effectively. But uh, – When I meet an ex-Mormon and sit down with them in a cafe or in a lunch table and we have a conversation, it's like we're best friends Mm -hmm. immediately. So we have, we have a ton in common. It's just, I, I've decided to kind of stick around and help from within. So how do we use that, that commonality, those commonalities that you just mentioned to create something that, that, that will, like you said, penetrate the consciousness of Mormonism? 
to make some kind of difference in the way um, Mormon culture is. I think we need to have annual. I think we need to have Mormon Palooza. I think we every year we need to have a conference that's like Sunstone on steroids, where all the all the tribes come together, and maybe each of us has a track at the conference, and. And we talk about all these issues. And I guarantee there's enough overlap and interest and concern. But we don't just stop at exploring intellectual stuff. We have the best in Mormon artists. We have the best in Mormon musicians. We have fun. We have dances. We have, you know, parties. And it's just a celebration of Mormon culture where there's a lot of thought and exploration involved. But whether it's psychological issues, depression, marriages, eating disorders, homosexuality, church history, um, pop culture, we all care about that stuff, don't we? So I guess the question, and you, you brought up Sunstone a couple times. Uh, you know, the, the question comes to my mind is, hasn't this been tried before? I mean, what you're describing to me sounds like Sunstone, but Sunstone is, is bleeding. Yeah. Yeah, Sunstone's awesome, and, um, you know, the world is changing, and Sunstone's trying to figure out how to adapt to the to the world. And... Um, how is this different from Sunstone? Yeah. I think I'm really confused about what the difference is between Sunstone right now and what dialogue is right now. Because when I open Sunstone, I see six, eight, ten page articles with like a page worth of footnotes. And I ask myself, how is that really different from dialogue? Where is a magazine that celebrates uncorrelated Mormon culture that's like Oprah or People magazine that's just Fun. Broadly relevant on the most, you know, finances, uh, you know, health, education, pop culture. Where's that magazine? Right. That's what I think Sunstone should be, but it's not. It's still oriented mostly towards the intellectual crowd. Mm -hmm. And I want to be smart. I think Oprah magazine does a great job at this. They have PhDs always writing their feature columns. But what's, what, what we need is a magazine and a conference that's oriented towards meat and potato Mormon issues, not trying to be intellectual. That's, that's my opinion. And I've talked to Mary Ellen and Steve and other people at Sunstone about this, but they still, they have that heritage of trying to be intellectual that, that they still really value and they should if that's what their priority is. But shouldn't that magazine exist? Yeah. I, it sounds fun. To be honest with you, I still can't get the, I still can't get the vision of it. I, I can I can I can get the magazine idea. The roots that we all come from, Mormonism, is so didactic. It's so everything is good or bad. It's black or white. You either he's either the prophet or he's a fraud. I mean that's what they they say all all the time. And I I don't know how you can bring these diverse groups together without a core uniting value. And I don't know what that value is. And I have to admit, I'm kind of dense. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm just saying I, I have a hard time. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I think it sounds cool, but I'm having a hard time understanding. I think a lot of people out there are. I mean, what, what is that? What is that we share? If there was a conference where fair and Mormon expression were there, uh, we both share the intellectual part is the one part we both sort of share. So if we pull that out, what's left that we both share? Right. Well, fair is a tough example. I don't, I don't necessarily feel like I want to try and reach out to fair <laughs> to bring them in, but let's say the Sunstone crowd, the Mormon stories crowd, your crowd, ex Mormon, post Mormon, new order Mormon, all the feminists out there. What do we share? So we bring, so we bring, um, Eliza Dushku or um, who's the lady that wrote the New York 
Halloween ball, El- Elma oh, yeah. Baker or Richard Dutcher. You know, we talk about pop culture. We talk about politics. We bring on people who can talk about Mitt Romney in an interesting and exciting way. We talk about mental health issues. We talk about financial issues. We talk about raising kids in a, in a 21st century world. We just talk about sex education. You know, the, just anything that kind of we, we just talk about with a Mormon lens. That's all. Hmm. Uh, it, it sounds like, you know, Mormon studies is, is, is and, you know, and if you take, you know, gay and lesbian studies or women's studies, they, they, it's not all intellectually. And they talk about culture and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, um, but for ex-Mormons, it's hard because a lot of them move on. They don't, the, the intellectual spark or the interest in Mormonism is a transitory state. It, most Mormons don't have it. They don't know their own history. They don't know their own culture. They don't understand that. Then it sort of bubbles up when they have problems in the church and then it goes away. And, and it's a transitory audience that, that we're, that we're, we're dealing with. And I don't mean that in a, in a negative way at all. You know, that, that's just what it is. But they're always, Especially if they were raised in the church, they always have some um, vestige of their Mormonness, and they usually have family members that are still Mormon. It always comes back, and you can't shed the skin completely. It's like it a Jew. It's just like I mean, it's not just like Jews, but it's very similar to Jews. A Jew is—you can't tell a Jew they're not a Jew, even if they haven't stepped foot in a synagogue uh-huh. in twenty years. And I think we've got something like that. It's different, but I think we've still got that. And we can unite around that. And it can be a beautiful thing, maybe for our generation and one more generation to come. And maybe it all dies out in Mm -hmm. two or three generations. But like just knowing people like you guys, it's like these are the coolest people I'll ever meet. Like the people that we've gotten Mm -hmm. to know are like soulmates from the start. Why shouldn't we be spending as much time together as possible rejoicing in what we love? Because these are cool people, and we think about and express things in cool ways. Why, why not spend as much time together as we can rejoicing in, in the fun things that we share? You guys so, are doing sounds, it. You it guys sounds, are already doing it. It right? sounds like maybe a party. Um, yeah, it's a party. <laughs> that's, we, we can buy into that. It's a party. Parties are fun. And drinking is totally acceptable. All right, we're there. Yeah. I just don't drink. Yeah. Maybe someday, but not not yet. You'll be disappointed when you do. It's not that it's not that cool. It's it's, not all it's that. fun. I mean, it's fun to do in a well, in a group of people. It's a social lubricant. I mean, let's be clear, like smoking um smoking candy cigarettes is cool. It looks cool, but it's just stale gum. You know, so right. so let's not confuse looking cool. Oh. And, you know, of value. Now, so, you know, having a, having a scotch in your hair, a brandy snifter in a smoking jacket is cool. <laughs> but it, the brandy may not taste that good to you. That's gotcha, all I'm saying. Gotcha. Gotcha. But there, I mean, that's not to say it's like stale gum because you can't acquire a taste for it. And then it's quite But you all buy into my special. point that candy cigarettes with that powdered sugar that you could blow out it's are way, cool. Oh, yeah, cool. that is cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can you still get those? Maybe from oh, like you Czechoslovakia can. or no, something. No, you can buy them on Amazon. <laughs> oh. Yeah. We need to give those out no, as a no. door prize. <laughs> you, guys are, you, you guys are already doing what I'm talking about, by the way. I don't. Not very effectively. No, that event you just had with like bagpipes and people singing and... Is a party, right? Yeah. 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 yeah I guess. Uh, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, we those- just, I just think that if we found a way to do it together and instead of having a few hundred people at our respective events, had 5,000 people at an event that we all put mm. together. 5,000. 
Absolutely. 10,000. Like someday there's going to be mass appeal for what we do. Let's, let's face it. We're in the majority. Yeah, the Jack Mormons are in the majority. The Jack Mormons and are. People who have either left the church or don't believe in the church or view the church in a little more progressive way, add all those people up, it's like 80% of everyone who's ever been baptized Mormon. Yeah, or more. Right. And so that's a that's awesome. We've got the numbers on our side. We just need to bring the people together and they'll come, you know. We need to plan the event. Well, it is true that there are a lot of people out there that feel very isolated and the you know, the the social events are very important. They are, but a lot of, you know, we get email from people saying, I really want to come to your event, but I didn't just couldn't drop the courage, you know. Yeah, but, but eventually they, they will. We got to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's an idea. To, and I think, I think the general appeal out there is I, I think we want to – let me take a, st- a step back. Um I think more so than the information that, that we're putting out there about the church. I think I think we share uh, a goal of there's people who are suffering, there's people who are in pain, there's people who are looking for others to 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 help them, and we, and we want to facilitate that. Um, and in in a sense, it's like medicine. It's not for everybody. It's for whoever has whatever ailment they need that medicine for. You know, I'm not going to try to get everybody to take penicillin all the time, right? But it is yummy, <laughs> especially the bubblegum flavored penicillin. But but. We want to build that sort of thing. You know, I, I want that the people aren't suffering any, anymore. And, and, and we see those emails and those, those things coming in. But I, you know, so I guess I'm trying to say in a roundabout sort of way, this is the appeal for that we need other people's help. Uh, you know, the few handful of people who schedule events can't, we can't do it all ourselves. Yeah. That's I like the, one of the problems. Totally. But I like, I like the Lord of the Rings analogy. You had to get the hobbits and the elves and the dwarves and the humans and the rangers and whoever else together. And they were able to, you know, defeat Sauron. Now, I don't know that we're trying to defeat Sauron, but I think that if we band together, the, the aggregate will be greater than the sum of the parts. The fellowship of the ring. Well, I, huh? I, still, I'm, of the I'm, ring. I mean, I'm still, I, uh, when, when, when you like when you guys do a lot of religious stuff, then I don't want to go to your events anymore because I don't I don't like that stuff that much. Okay, I mean, so, when I say I don't like it, I mean it, it's boring. So it's boring. <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> you know the cool thing; those testimony things are pretty powerful because nobody bears testimony about the gospel. They just share their stories and the pain that they've experienced and the joy that they found in stepping outside the traditional bounds. Those testimony meetings are pretty powerful, and they have nothing to do with. With the traditional testimonies. Well, that's what the, right. su- there's support groups that yeah, meet. Calm. And, and we, they, we don't even go to those very much anymore because it, it, it it's a, it's a, tr- it's a transitional, it's a transitional phase. So. Okay. So when we have Mormon Palooza, I'm cool with there not being any prayers or hymns. You can have prayers and hymns and we'll have our booth. No, no, no. We're going to have a key, we're going to have a, a day of keynotes where Mormon celebrities come and speak. And I'm saying that we can have fun music. In between his bumpers, there'll be no prayers, and we can just enjoy that would be... fantastic keynotes. But let's say something that I think is important to say right here because of, of what I'm thinking. The the, the ex Mormon world, and I include you in that, or the transitional Mormon world, or the life beyond, uncorrelated, is is hierarchical <laughs> because that's how things get done, not because that's the way we want it to be. Sure, meaning. If you want to criticize us for, you know, having people who are in charge or these person, you know, you're talking about like these alpha personalities. The alpha personalities are so just because that's what they do. 
it's not because we're looking for followers. We don't need any followers. Um, we don't, there's nothing to follow. So, so, um, we want a bigger tent with more voices and, and to reject that sort of thing saying, uh, no, we don't want to be John Delinites or Mormon Expressionites or I don't even know what that means. So I'm not, you know, we're not looking for, for, for followers. And, and if there's other people and other voices from different points of view, well, I think we all want to encourage that. Totally. Like, so the small things I do, we kind of have a first presidency in the Open Stories Foundation. It's me and Pepper and Joanna Brooks. I wanted women running the organization. So they run the day-to-day operations of our foundation. We have a policy where in our conferences, only women um, preside and conduct we, or gay men. We don't have any white males conducting or presiding over our conferences. So we're just, we're trying to do all, can, all we can to be as egalitarian as we possibly can. But, you know, like well, you said. Is that fair to the, to the white men? Well, no. But, you know, they've had their day in the sun. Right? And we, we try to react. We try to react that way. And I'll, I'll call it a reaction where, where we try to get more, more women voices. And I would think that if you have the regular uh, people who appear on Mormon Express, and there's as many or more women. Yeah. And, and for, for that, because we come from a very patriarchal organization and, and, you know, we, we sometimes tend to fall into those roles. And that's difficult. That's, that's that, that thing I was talking about where our core values, the culture we share, a lot of it is poisonous. So, so we want to develop, we want to run around the maypole, but we, we don't want to bring the bad with us. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm with you. I don't want, none of us want followers. We just want to alleviate the pain and have a lot of fun. I, the medicine analogy is okay. It's good, but it doesn't include the party part. Like it's not just, we're not just here to cure the sick. Okay. It's, we're it's here to whiskey. Party. You know, yes, I used to give whiskey, whiskey exactly. to the sick. <laughs> For those who are sick, they get the painkiller. Mm. Or they can clean the sores with it. Yes, yes. But then they can also party with it, right? Right. It's yeah. multifunctional. Nice, nice, nice metaphor, Zilpha. Nice job. So five years from now, John Delin, what what does Mormon Stories look like? What are you doing? Oh, instead of seventy local communities, we have two hundred and fifty um across the world. Um uh, conferences are happening annually in, in all these cities. In all these cities, there's a large, vibrant, um, series of book clubs and play groups and dinner groups, um, and social organizations where hundreds of these uncorrelated Mormons in each individual city are fellowshipping and supporting and loving each other. We're having annual conferences, Mormon Palooza with Mormon Expression and all the other members of the community united. We have uh, a series of books that um, that speak to all these topics that we care about most. We penetrate Mormon consciousness such that we wrestle Mormon culture away from the institution LDS Church. Mormonism becomes defined more broadly as a culture, um, and there's just more space for non-traditional people such that um, you can exist in a ward, you can speak openly, um, and you're not ostracized or alienated. And every ward sort of understands that there's a group of liberal or progressive or even non-believing people in that ward. And they're um, allowed to engage at a certain level without so much stigma and ostracization. Less more, less marriages are terminated prematurely based on um, faith or religious issues. Less gay people are putting guns to their heads and, and, and pulling the trigger over suicide. Um, and we're having a lot of parties and fun. How's that? Sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. And Mormon Expression and Mormon Stories have 50,000 listeners and subscribers (laughs) 
and yeah, instead of whatever we have now. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were adding them together. No, I don't know. I don't know how we only can track downloads. Have you figured out a way to track subscribers? Mm, I don't know if it's accurate or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's my vision. There's a lot of people listening out there. So, and notice none of that had to do with the church institution actually doing anything differently. They can do whatever they want to do. I just care about the hearts and minds of the people, not what the leaders do. Yeah, you know, I've 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 been called into everybody who says anything even marginally outside the correlation will be called anti-Mormon, but I, I will happily own the title of being called anti-church. I'm definitely anti-church. I don't like the church at all. But um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Mormon. It's my culture. It's my my people. My family. Um, I think the doctrine's fun. I'm not anti-Mormon <laughs> doctrine. Um, I'm not anti-Mormon history. History is just what it is. You can't really be anti or positive historical events. So, but anti-church, yeah, sure, sign me up. And you're not anti-Mormon in terms of the membership because no. the membership's awesome, right? Oh yeah, the believers yeah. and the non-believers. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I like Mormons. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially when they bring me baked goods or whiskey. Or that whiskey. hasn't happened yet, but no whiskey. I look forward to it. All right, listeners, someone send John Larson and Zilpha Larson a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> does whiskey come in bottles? It does. We'll, we'll show you one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, John, is there any last message you want to put out to the world, put out to the universe? No, just uh, you guys are awesome. I love Mormon Expression. It's it's just so well run and it's doing great things and. I'm honored to be here, and thank you for all you guys are doing. Well, the honor is mutual. We're happy to call you our our, our friend. So, um, you know, we we get a chance to talk every couple months, and you know, we we've said it before. We'll keep saying it. You know, there's no the the the, the there's lots of room for everybody. There there can be more podcasts. There can be more voices, and there's no competition between us, except maybe for guests. We don't even compete for guests much anymore. I don't. I, I can't remember when the last time that sort of came up. Uh, just, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Emily Pearson. Oh, oh, are we competing? No, no, no. I, 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 I tried to get her to do an interview a couple of years ago. Oh. And then she told me you guys want to interview her soon. And I said, yeah, whatever, do whatever you want. Well, she just put oh. out her book. Didn't you guys just interview her? No. Oh. Not Emily. No. Carolyn, we did over the summer. Oh. I don't know why I brought that up. <laughs> but I've got, dib- I've got dibs on Emily. But other than that. I, there's no, there's no, I don't. There's no problem with this running back. You know, in the beginning, I would say uh, to the to the guy and that's behind the curtains. Well, you know, I said we're not in competition, but if 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 Delin just ran something, we'll sit on it for a couple. And now I don't care. Yeah, you, you could run the same thing the same way. I mean, that's totally. Way, well, there's totally. so many different things when to talk. Authors about will go from the same person. You know, from Johnny Carson to, the, to yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, who who cares? I just said Johnny Carson. <laughs> it's because you're old. <laughs> I am old. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you here. Well, thanks, and, John. And hopefully all the the uh, comments to our message board won't be really super caustic because you seem to be a magnet for hostile. Yeah, we don't we don't need a lot of hostile comments on you know when when it's about people why if it's about an issue fine. Zilfa's told me I can't call people douches or dicks anymore. I can say they're acting douchey. Yes. Or they're being dickish. Nobody is a douchebag. Nobody is a dick. (laughs) That's what you think. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you here. And as always, the story continues at Mormon Stories. What's what's your what's your exit line? 
Do you have an exit line? Uh, thanks for joining us on Mormon Stories. And it's yeah. mormonstories.org? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the discussion continues at, at mormonexpression.com. And we all have like lots of, there's lots of Facebook groups and there's energy behind those. There's the Mormon Expression ones, there's the Mormon Stories ones. And you can get in these little, they're closed groups and so no one can see what you're doing. And you can find out there's people all around that you know. I, 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 I was really impressed a couple of years ago. I don't know if you still say it. You said, friend me. Yeah. On Facebook, because then you'll see other friends that you have that have done the same thing. And it's but. becoming a problem because I have 4,200 Facebook friends and they, they stop it at 5,000. So if you guys. You'll have to be like Jondalyn too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, but I've had brothers and sisters that didn't know they were both sort of non traditional LDS discover that each other were different through friending me. Oh, that's awesome. I, members of wards, family members, it, former missionaries. It is so satisfying. And it's happened to all of us. It is so satisfying meeting somebody from your past who you realize it's 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 like yeah. it's like a reunion. It's 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 like something out of Saturday's Warrior when you get <laughs> to meet that people song. that you really. And you, you said that before. And I think if there's any argument for the Big Tent, it's that we have all shared this experience, both from the 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 inside the church and more importantly that separation. No matter where we ended up, we all shared that sort of trauma. Um, and I've used the example before um, in, in the movie Constantine. You ever seen Constantine? No. Keanu Reeves, Reeves movie, the only Keanu Reeves movie I like. Um, <laughs> but there's this there's this um, this club called Papa Midnight's where all the fallen angels and all the fallen devils can go, and they're the only ones that can get in. Nice. Because they're the only ones who who, who understand, and that, that's, that's what we're creating. We're creating Papa Midnight's. <laughs> I like it. All right, John. I like it. Thanks, Thanks guys. Bye. Bye. As a